Hello and welcome to another episode of the R Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua and today's episode will be focused on technocracy through the illusion of the Panopticon writings by Jeremy Bentham. So Jeremy Bentham wrote this series of letters mostly and designed an architectural structure for a prison that he called the Panopticon. And the whole point of this was that it was a place that would maximize control while minimizing inputs and the need for management. For my typical disclaimer, I will say that this is in the middle of a series, in the middle of a season, in the middle of the podcast. And so if you are new, this is probably not the right place for you. This is in the third season of the podcast, talking about alternatives to the current system and other seasons have talked about the issues with the current system. And now we're getting into the alternatives and doing some comparisons between them and the original church is the main comparison here, but that is not uh, by any means the only method of assessment. We are also looking at lots of other things. And so I have talked about uh, these types of things throughout this season, just got done doing a series on secular religion, that would be statism, the church of woke and scientism. And now we're getting into this idea that combines all of these together, and that would be technocracy. This is where things are headed. This is going to be the main governance system worldwide in some way, and I would say it's in a more immaterial way versus a material, structured, hierarchical way. And so now what I am doing is looking at what a technocracy is, how it functions, these types of things through the examples that we have from uh, fairly well-known writings throughout history. And so I have already started this series on technocracy through this angle, this perspective, and I have gone over... I guess I went over 1984 from George Orwell last time, and before that covered Machiavelli's The Prince, and in this episode I'll cover the Panopticon writings by Jeremy Bentham, as I already mentioned, and that will wrap up this set of illusions for a more material version of technocracy. Now, like I said, my personal opinion is that we will eventually move into something more immaterial, less structured, that type of system. But my argument is that we are already in, whether we're heading into or in the middle of or we're at the end of whatever, we're already in this more materialistic um, technocracy. I would say we're definitely not at the very end of it by any means. I would say we're either... I would say we're probably somewhere in the middle of it, uh, maybe the early middle. That would be at least my personal guess. But a lot of these illusions that I'm talking about now are things that are very clearly in effect currently or are becoming things that are uh, much more commonly used, so to say. And as I get into the next set of illusions, which will start, I believe, in the following episode, that will be Plato's Brave New World Foundation will be that set of illusions. So it's Plato's Republic, Huxley's Brave New World, and Asimov's Foundation series. And those will get into more of the immaterial view of what a technocracy is and how it functions. And that is different. The immaterial technocracy is different than the material one. Although, obviously, there are a lot of overlaps and 
it still is the same thing in the sense that it still is technocracy, but it is implemented in a very different way with a different structure, different methods, these types of things. So as I get into the Panopticon writings, I will give the typical disclaimer that I give for each one of these that... I am not doing a summary of these writings. I am not covering the entire thing. I am not going to give you an overview of the whole thing. I am going to give you the pieces that I plucked out as I went through them and made notes on that are specifically related to technocracy and the things we're talking about. So that is what I am doing here. I would, again, recommend reading them yourself and going back to the source. There's a lot to pull out of the Panopticon writings. To be honest, I actually haven't finished all of them. It's actually longer than the other illusions, at least, that I am covering. 1984, for example, pretty short book. Same with Brave New World. Same with Machiavelli's The Prince. A lot of these are fairly short. The Foundation series, now that's a long one. And the Panopticons, not nearly as long as the series itself, but as a set of collected writings, it actually is decently long. It's like if you get into Kaczynski, which I would also highly recommend and hopefully we'll get to cover at some point, but his writings were collected together under the title Technological Slavery. And in that, it starts off with the manifesto that he wrote, the Unabomber Manifesto. And that is pretty short and easy to consume and very spot on. But then after that is a whole series of letters and other writings. And that book itself is actually pretty thick. So it's kind of similar to, I guess, how I would view the Panopticon writings, where there are some that a lot of people would point to and be more familiar with, but the whole collection is actually a decent bit. But out of that collection, I have read a good bit of it. And I made notes on the ones that were pertinent. And I made sure that I focused on the pertinent sections for me reading it and covering and that kind of stuff. So To set the stage again, just to be clear on what Bentham was doing, he was creating an architectural structure for a prison. And it was a physical structure, it was a building, and it would be a functioning prison. That was the design, that's what it was for. And the writings, mostly, are about what that structure is, how it is oriented, how it works, why it is... um, I guess, built the way that it is built, why it is designed the way it is designed, and these types of things. So as you look at how he's designing these things, the design and the psychological effects of the design are actually more of a key component than the physical design itself. The physical is matched with the psychological, which makes it really interesting. So One of the big points of his is that he is mixing the physical and the psychological. So one reinforces and amplifies the other, and they do this in both ways. So the physical amplifies and reinforces the psychological. So the way that this prison is built, the look of it, the feel of it, the placement of the cells and the directions that they're facing, these types of things are reinforcing and amplifying the psychological effects. And then the psychological effects that are felt within this prison, within this building, they amplify and reinforce the physical makeup, the number of physical staff that are there, these types of things. So both reinforce and amplify the other. I guess it would be good to give at least a slight overview of what his design 
is, even though I'm not doing an overview of absolutely everything, because I guess that makes more sense. If you're not familiar with the design of the Panopticon, then you probably have no idea what I'm talking about here. So what the way he designed this prison is that it would be a prison with a tower in the center. And let's start at the center and work out. So in the very center, there is a tower that stretches tall in the middle of the structure. And within this tower, there is one-way glass so that whoever is in the tower, and that's where the warden would be, they can see out, but the inmates on the outside can't necessarily see in. And then you have a courtyard around the tower that people can walk around in and do things in. There's uh, various things that he does talk about for what would be done there, and I don't know if we'll get to them or not. But you've got the courtyard area, and then all of these cells are surrounding the tower on the outside of the courtyard, and every individual cell faces in and looks directly at the tower. So when you have this structure Every prisoner, whether they're in the courtyard or in a cell, wherever they are, they can be seen at all times from the tower. However, one of the points is that there would not be a lot of staff within this prison. So instead of having enough people within the tower to see all prisoners at all times and always keep an eye on everybody, what you do is you only have a minimal staffing, even if it's only one, in the tower. And they don't actually look at any every single person at all times, but they can, they could potentially see any particular person at any particular time. And the people on the outside, the prisoners, they never know when they're being watched, when they're being looked at. They can't see in the tower, so they don't know how many people are in there. They don't know where they are looking, nothing like that. And so that provides the psychological aspect based on the physical design of the building. And there are other techniques that he uses in order to really reinforce this idea of... Uh, basically self-censoring yourself because you're always being watched. So with these different techniques, one key component that Bentham talks about is that he wants to make an efficient use of resources. So for example, you have the one-way glass, which does make an efficient use of your staffing resources. Since the prisoners cannot see within, there can only be one person or two people or whatever, and they could, in a sense, function in the same way and have the same effect as if there were dozens of people in there. So we want to minimize the resources and use them very efficiently. There is also this idea of being times that prisoners could actually see within the tower, but they wouldn't see completely. So the idea here that he talks about, and again, this was written quite a long time ago, so uh, modern electricity even, much less computers and these types of things, were not around at the time. So he did talk about how there would have to be a light or a candle or something that the warden would have to use to do their paperwork by so that they could see and they could make their notes and do their things and keep track of their paperwork. And so when you have light on the inside of the tower, if it is dark on the outside of the tower, then those on the outside could at least see something on the inside. But the way he argued it is that the light is so minimal and it is through that uh, glass that apparently is not completely one-way glass. And so all the prisoners can see is a silhouette of who's on the inside. And so number one, the prisoners can't see exactly where the warden is looking, so it doesn't interfere with that aspect of this 
omnipresent view that the warden is always watching all places at all times because you still can't see exactly where he's looking. You only see the silhouette. But he actually says that it helps to reinforce some of the psychological aspects because you can see this silhouette. So you do know that someone is in there and it actually looks like he's always looking at you. And it adds this mystery because all you can see is that silhouette. And so it actually does improve and amplify more of those psychological aspects. So before I forget, I should make some comparisons to technocracy because that's kind of the whole point here. Now, I know you can draw a lot of these comparisons on your own because they are pretty obvious. But when you look at something like cancel culture, for example, That is something where the individual that is posting content online knows that their content can get seen at any point in time by those who could remove it or flag it for being offensive or misinformation or whatever it is. And so the individual, while they do know, actually, and I don't know if the prisoners would know this in the Panopticon, but we do know in the real world that it's not necessarily that everything I post will get seen and assessed, but it is the fact that everything I post could be seen and analyzed. And as we move into more and more uh, technology, AI, that type of stuff, then algorithms actually can efficiently look at every single post from every single person and assess those and that type of thing. So this effect of self-censoring because you're always being watched or could potentially always be being watched, that is what's going on. And You also have this issue in the modern world that we don't actually really know who runs the Church of Woke. Who is the one making all of these judgment calls on censorship, for example? And uh, there really is not a person. It's a rhetorical question here because it is more of an immaterial movement or religion. It's this secular religion of wokeism. Even if you bring it all the way down to something more specific, like, oh, well, it's Facebook. It is this company. Well, what is a company? What is a corporation? That's an entity that is not a person. It doesn't actually think for itself, although it functions like a person or like a conscious entity in that there are things that it pushes that are outside of the individuals working within it, even though it's only the individuals working within it that make what it does possible. So it's this really uh, a strange, obscuring aspect of the the uh, I guess the source behind the censorship and the watching and this type of thing. And that's similar to obscuring the view of the warden when all you see is a silhouette at some times and other times you don't even really know. So we've got a lot of this going on in the modern age as well. And with this, it does make the use of resources more efficient. So if a tech platform doesn't have to always run fact checkers and actually employ enough to look at every single post at all times, well, they don't have to do that. They just have to implement something that creates a psychological effect that people think and they know that they could be watched anytime and therefore they act differently because of that. There is also another interesting thing that he talks about where he says that sound would be piped into all the cells individually. And uh, I I don't know exactly how this worked because this would have been before 
like stereo systems and speakers and this kind of thing. So my understanding is it was like tubes that would enter all the cells. And in some way, there would be a system where the warden could speak and be heard at any individual place at any time. It could be in a specific cell. It could be for the whole courtyard to hear. It could be anywhere at any time. And in doing so, it amplifies this perspective that the warden is God or is like a God, that the warden is omnipresent. You never know where his voice is going to come from. And all you hear is that voice. You can't tie it to a face. So it's kind of dehumanized in a sense and not in a lower sense. It's not like the warden is less than human. It's more like the warden is more than human. The warden is always there. The warden can come from anywhere. The warden can talk to you while you're in bed in your individual cell, and he can see you in there. And uh, Bentham makes a point that the warden should use this ability now and then, not all the time, but he should definitely use it to increase this effect so that people are more worried, people are more aware. The warden does seem omnipresent, and this is done through this ability to speak from any place at any time and be heard and individualized. And this is kind of similar to individualized targeting to uh, people by, let's say, big tech. So they can focus in on one specific person and Uh, you're not necessarily calling them out, so to say, but targeted advertising is trying to influence the behavior of an individual person by this entity, the warden, big tech, and they are using something that's very targeted to the individual. And then there is also advertising that's more mass advertising to larger groups of people, let's say to the whole courtyard, so to say, and they can target their message differently And they can do this in these two different ways, both to a large group of people or to a specific individual person. And either way, they are changing the behaviors of some of the people based on this fact that they can target them and address directly to them or to the whole. And they can bring up things that... Uh, kind of show that they know a lot about that person. So there might be some personalized ad that comes to me that makes it clear that they know that I am interested in permaculture or, you know, whatever it is. And so I, I get that ad. And not only is it targeted to me personally, and it's probably done very well, I also get this feeling like, oh, they actually know a lot about me. And so it's the same thing about the warden saying maybe the warden comments about something that you just did. It's like, oh, he is watching me at all times. He does know a lot about me. And yeah, it's kind of that same idea that's going on there. And it is extremely effective. So um, the last thing on in this note here was that Bentham talked about using the um, the prisoners for labor. So that was really interesting in that he said that the prisoners would exercise in the yard, in the courtyard, and as they exercise, they would be using equipment that would generate energy, and that energy would be what would run the prison. And so talk about an efficient use of resources, you're creating a more self-sustaining, self-contained system where the prisoners, in giving them this favor of being able to exercise and do their things, they're actually supporting the prison and keeping it up and generating electricity for it. So there are other examples there, but it's pretty interesting about how he's using the prisoners 
for their labor in order to help run the prison. And the way that they are doing that makes them actually feel like they are getting a privilege. And it is, in a sense, giving them a privilege. So it's a really interesting use there, but a very efficient use of resources. The same could be said of modern taxation, for example. So in general, with technocracy, we're looking at something more along the lines of big tech than the state. But uh, taxes are a decent example here, where with taxes, the state is taking the labor of the individual. And no, it's not the direct labor. It is the value of the labor, the value that was generated by my labor. So I work I put forth labor, I get paid for it, so my labor is valued by an hourly wage or a salary or whatever, and then the state takes a portion of that labor from me and uses it to sustain the state, to sustain itself. And even if I don't want to sustain the government, and that's not something I agree with or want my money to go to, it's going to happen either way. And in doing so, the way that the state does this, it actually feels like, and in a way it is, giving me a benefit, because I have roads to drive on. I have the ability to call the police if I am in trouble. All of these types of things are government services paid for by taxation. So we are receiving these benefits, so to say, and that is true, although there are a lot of caveats there. And at the same time as us receiving these benefits, we are supporting and uh, sustaining the state. And we are the reason why it can still function, because it is taking our labor and using our labor to sustain itself. And again, very efficient use of resources. It doesn't have to do this on its own. It just takes it from us. And then if it can spin that in a way that we feel we are benefiting from it, wonderful, then we are all the more willing to participate and we will continue to do so. I did give the example of how government uses taxation to use the labor of us as the prisoners or as the civilians or whatever in order to sustain itself as a system and mentioned that's not the technocracy, that's a different thing. Well, an example in the technocratic realm would be something like the CAPTCHA things that you do to prove that you're a human whenever you go to a certain site or sign up for a certain thing online. You have these pictures that pop up and you choose which ones correspond to whatever it tells you, like uh, choose every picture that has a boat or every picture with a traffic light or whatever the case may be. And we think of this as just being an automatic thing that's done by computers and that's it. But what's actually happening in most cases is that you are training the AI, you are training the algorithm. The artificial intelligence programs, they need a lot of data, massive amounts of data in order to figure out what things mean, to decipher their meaning in some way, or to be able to decipher data and give some sort of meaningful output. They need a lot of data for input first. And we are giving them that input by showing them which pictures have a traffic light in them and which ones have a boat and so forth and so on. And that actually is something that's used to train the AIs and algorithms that then are running the technocratic system, so to say. And so that's a, another example there of how that works. And we are receiving this benefit of, oh, 
Well, we are weeding out spam. We are gaining security. We are gaining access to the site. Now we can use the site. Now we can use this service. We are getting this benefit. And so they give us a benefit and use our labor that we associate with that benefit that we don't think helps them at all. And yet that's how they're running their entire system. So it's that kind of thing. It's that idea that comes from the Panopticon that comes from Bentham, or at least he's talking about that same concept. So another thing that Bentham says is that you must bust some people sometimes. You can't just rely strictly on this psychological effect of people thinking that they're always being watched or hearing you talk through these different things and calling them out for what they're doing or whatever, all these different techniques. That's not enough. You actually do have to bust people and you have to bust them hard. You have to uh, do some major punishment here. And this is to keep fear and contentiousness high without revealing revealing your hand. And so what we do is we keep the prisoners scared because they are seeing people getting severely punished for things that, well, how did they know? Oh, well, I guess they are really watching all the time. And they're just picking and choosing which ones of us to make examples of, that kind of idea. And then you also have this contentiousness that is growing among the prisoners and among people that are wanting to do different things and trying to stop people from doing certain things, these types of things. And so this is something that keeps everybody in a bit of a state of flux, so to say, in a way that is, uh, it promotes peaceful behavior. It promotes following the rules. That is what it promotes, a controlled system, which is always the goal of all of these authors, always about control and order. The architectural design of the Panopticon prison is also such that if there needed to be a crackdown of some more major proportion, not just picking out one person and punishing them as an example, but if there was a riot or revolt or something bigger, or maybe a gang that started to make their presence known and their disobedience known, and you had to set an example on a larger scale, well, the architectural design of the Panopticon is such that it makes that crackdown so much easier. It is extremely easy to crack down because of the architectural structure of the prison. It makes it such that it is very difficult for anybody on the inside to really have an impact on the warden and the other people running the prison, but it greatly increases the impact. It amplifies the impact of the warden and the workers on the prisoners when they are trying to then institute punishment or control. Now, punishment is something that Bentham talks about a decent bit. I'm not 100% sure I completely agree with him. I may, I may not. I haven't made up my mind. But what he says is that punishing an individual is all about setting an example for society writ large. It is not about actually punishing the individual for their crimes. Now, he also says that the point of a prison is not to rehabilitate the individual, because the point of a prison and the penal system and this type of thing, the, the point of it is to set an example so that society stays orderly. This is the main point of crime and punishment and courts and laws and all of these types of things, the enforcement of these things. The point is to keep society under control, to keep it in order, to keep it away from a state of chaos. And so what he says is that when you have somebody that commits a crime, it is very important that the punishment that they receive for their crime is very public and is very severe. 
these are the criteria. And it is not because the person necessarily deserves a severe punishment. And also, it is not necessarily that the person receives a severe punishment from their own perspective. It doesn't matter. There could be something that theoretically could be perceived as extremely severe by those of us in the public that see it on the media, whereas the individual prisoner, whatever it is, it's not really a big deal to them. And uh, this action would still serve Bentham's purposes and serve it completely. So it's not about the punishment of the individual, and it's not about rehabilitating the individual. It's not about the individual at all. It's about society. And so the Panopticon system is also, or I guess the Panopticon prison is also in and of itself an example. So the public is to come in and see it every once in a while, and there is to be a showing of what it is and a showing of how harsh it is for the prisoners and these types of things. This is something that does spawn order within society because then people are afraid to commit crimes and to be in there. Now, there is a conflict here where, uh, at least in the States, I was talking to somebody that actually works within the prison system, and they were talking about how, especially in the southern states, the prison system is much more about punishing the individual and punishing them for their crime. So not in Bentham's sense, not as an example to society, but for their crime specifically. So it's all about punishment. Whereas in a lot of the, typically the more liberal prisons, they are more about reformation and reforming the prisoner and restoring them back to society. So again, not necessarily restoration from their crimes, like maybe a biblical mosaic law outlook would be restitution-based. No, this is rehabilitation back into society. And so both of these are, it's kind of interesting. But the point here that I am trying to get to is that in the southern states that are more punishment-focused, there still are higher rates of crime and higher rates of recommitting crime after prison than there are in the more liberal prisons that are more focused on restoration and reforming the prisoners. So it does appear that punishing the individual and that threat of punishment is not very effective based on these statistics, whereas it appears that trying to rehabilitate the prisoner, the criminal, actually is more effective. Not doesn't necessarily mean it is effective, but it is more effective at least the way that it works out. But the catch here is that, again, number one, the example of the southern state prisons, they are focused on punishing the individual for their crime. So they are not focused specifically on making a showing and an example to the rest of society. So that's one difference with Bentham. Number two, I am also doing this comparison with the original church, and I've talked about Mosaic Law before, even in episode, or sorry, season one, I did use Mosaic Law and the ancient Israelite group of people for an example of an anarchic type society. And in that, Mosaic Law played a large role. And in Mosaic Law, it is all about restitution. So the individual commits a crime and what needs to happen after that is things need to be brought back into restoration to what they were before the crime was committed as much as is possible. And the criminal has to repay the difference, so to say. Now, obviously, you can't get this exactly, and there are some things that you just can't restore. And capital punishment definitely did play a role here. But the point was that restoration of 
the circumstances was sought. It wasn't necessarily that we feel bad for this criminal and we want them to be able to rejoin society and be one of the group again and join the social body. No, it was that they need to make up for what they did. And that was the main point. And the punishment was not just that, oh, we need to scare everybody by these doing these harsh punishments. There were a lot of other reasons for doing it. For example, stoning was done by the entire town. It wasn't just an executioner. They didn't have an executioner. And the purpose of this was not only to set an example to everybody that this is what happens when you break some of these more severe laws, but also that every single person in the town has a hand in the death of the criminal. And so if anyone were to kill a criminal or lie about them and have them killed, and this was the effect, then the guilt of that death would be on everybody. And this makes it much less likely that you are going to have somebody get stoned to death. If it's just an executioner, it's kind of outsourced. You don't think about it. You just send them to the executioner, you're done. But if you actually have to have a hand in it yourself, and if I remember right, I think the accusers had to maybe throw the first stone or something like this. And so it was that if you were to lie about something, which was a really big deal in Mosaic Law, then you would not only be responsible for that, you would not only be responsible for their death, you would have the main hand in their death and execution, making you even more responsible. So it's a really big deal. And so the point is that neither the southern states focus on uh, punishment in those prisons, nor the more liberal prisons, neither one of those actually match the two things we're talking about here. And that would be the parallel to uh, the viewpoint of the original church in my uh, example for season three, nor the view of Jeremy Bentham for the panopticon. But you do get a hint of some things that might be a little different. So uh, again, it's just interesting and something to consider. The prison as a whole also is something that has a different mentality than what we see in today's society. Oftentimes in today's society, you have this idea of the fact that we need to physically control the masses or the criminal class because they won't control themselves. That's the idea. They won't or they can't control themselves. Therefore, we have to control them, we as society. And that's usually, again, outsourced to other random groups that it feels like you don't have much association with or responsibility with. Now, the idea of Bentham is not that. It's different. It's that they will control themselves, so you shouldn't control them physically. It's not something you should do. You don't squeeze tightly and grasp tightly. It's the idea of holding sand. You squeeze too tight and it just falls through your fingers. That's not what you should do. And he does believe that the pri the prisoners, the criminals, can and will control themselves. And it's just a matter of design and method and technique, these types of things. And so that is how he has designed all of his ideas and concepts that are manifested in this architectural design of the Panopticon prison. This is something that will help and encourage, along with how you implement it, uh, this idea of the prisoners controlling themselves so that you don't have to, 
and because you really shouldn't. So between the two, if you try to control them more, then they are not going to control themselves. So it's kind of a a negative cycle that goes on there. Uh, The idea that, oh, we have to control them because they want themselves, that means that we are then controlling them, which then means that they won't control themselves, even if they would have otherwise, and it's just this cycle that returns back, and it is all negative. Whereas the cycle that Bentham sets up, it is a positive cycle where he says, oh, they will control themselves, and we'll let them do that within this sandbox, so to say, this very controlled system and place. And so we won't control them. And because we're not controlling them, they then will control themselves, which then decreases the need for us to control them. And it's a positive cycle. So this is the idea that he has here. The prisoners within the Panopticon have freedom, so to say. There are no rules. And that would be in the form of formal structures, so to say. It's it's not necessarily that they can do whatever they want, although they can do whatever they want. And this will come up again. Again, I think in Brave New World, it might have been in 1984, and I didn't mention it. I can't remember. One of those two books, this is one of the big points, is that there are no formal written laws, but everybody does do what they're supposed to do. I think it actually is 1984, and people follow the party and the party line no matter what, because they will get punished, but there are no written formal laws. If I remember right, that is. That is something I should have brought out that I didn't if that is the case. But anyway, going back to the Panopticon, it's the same idea, that the prisoners have total freedom. Freedom. There are no specific set formal laws that they have to follow. There are no set rules. But they do know that if they step out of line, and that line is very vague, then they will get cracked down on pretty harshly. And again, he uses that idea that he has, his philosophy of punishment as setting an example to everybody else as a fear-based mechanism and that seems to be very effective. And so with this, people feel like they are very free, yet they are extremely controlled. And a lot of that control, like I've mentioned before, is self-control. So this is something that is, again, very effective and very efficient. It's kind of like a sandbox. You could tell a kid that they can do, you put them in a sandbox and you tell the kid you can do whatever you want. You have complete freedom within the sandbox. And let's say the walls of the sandbox are going to be solid steel, 10 feet high, and the kid has no way of getting out. They're just in the sandbox. Well, they have some toys. They have the sand. They like playing in sandboxes. And hey, cool. So in some ways, that kid has complete freedom. They can do whatever they want but they are completely confined and controlled within the confines of the sandbox. And so this is the idea of the Panopticon system. This is also the idea of a regulated internet, something we are shifting closer and closer to, where you have the freedom to search for and look at anything you want on the internet. You have the freedom to post anything you want, to say whatever you want. But as the system starts cracking down more, and there are no formal rules, it's not like the Church of Woke has this set list of laws and regulations that you have to follow. No, it is very vague. But if you start breaking them, they will crack down. And so as this becomes more and more common, they are looking at your search history, they are looking at what you post, they are looking at all kinds of things, and the they also can vary very widely within what I would call this burgeoning technocracy. And so 
this is something that does happen. It is something where we feel like, in some ways, we have complete freedom on the internet. But in other ways, we are also very controlled. The information that we see, the advertisements that are shown to us, the websites that pop up when we search for something, all of these things are actually highly controlled. We are in a sandbox, and it is a sandbox that we do have a lot of freedom in, and the sandbox has not been completely enclosed yet. We are not in a completely regulated internet. The technocracy is not something that is fully functioning and formed currently. So this is a, a taste of what we have, and it is something that you can see this example of. Even just the name Panopticon has some things to draw out from it. The idea is that it is panoptic. It is this idea that it can see all around optic and pan. And this is the idea of the tower. It is this tower where you can see all the way around it. You can see everything at all times. It is pan optic. This is also the idea of the surveillance grid. It is something that can see all things at all times. It is pan optic and thus can utilize a lot of these different strategies and concepts that Bentham talks about. This is also the idea of the technocracy. It's the idea of the Church of Woke being manifested in big tech. They see all things. They see all information, all data, all things are witnessed by them and can be witnessed by them at all times. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they are always looking at every certain thing, but they could if they wanted to. And they are looking at some and they are making sure they bust some and doing it very publicly. And it's something that everyone knows. It's this idea that all spawns from the ability to be panoptic. The example that I could give that we see a lot in our physical lives, or at least I do, I'm sure most of us do, are those black spheres that you see at uh, all over the place. You see them in schools, you see them in shops, you see them at even churches and all kinds of places. They have these black spheres up usually off the ceiling in a corner, and we know that in general, these have cameras. These are for surveillance cameras, and they have a black sphere around them, so you can't see where they are looking. Now, some of them, probably today, now, can look in all directions at one time, or in multiple directions, or some might have multiple cameras. But when they were first installed, at least, when this first became a thing years ago, the cameras did not have that ability. They could only look in one direction at one time. But then you put a black sphere around them where you can't see, just like you do one-way glass on the tower of the Panopticon, you can't see inside. Then you never know where the warden was looking, and you never know where the camera is looking. And again, it's the same idea. It's this this concept of being panoptic, but you don't even necessarily have to be truly panoptic in reality. People just have to believe that it's possible. It's this possibility or potentiality of being panoptic without the need for this to be a reality. And again, this is the world we live in, and it's manifesting in many different ways. Now, when you do all of these things, when you have this prison system that's built and it is in place and it's operating as it should, it should increase productivity and efficiency of the prisoners. It should increase that a lot. They should be much more productive because they're focused on doing what they're supposed to be doing. They are not trying to sabotage anything. They are not trying to do their own things. They're not breaking the rules. They're doing what they're supposed to. And they're doing it efficiently because they, in some ways, enjoy the system that they are in. Again, they have all this freedom. And some of the things they're doing, like producing electricity for the prison, is done by exercising and using exercise equipment 
equipment and these types of things. So it's something that they can do and that they enjoy doing and they feel is a good environment to be in. It's a nice sandbox. If you got to be in a sandbox, you know, hey, this is as good a sandbox as any. So let's just do what we need to do. And if we don't, we're going to get drastically and severely punished. So yeah, we probably don't want to do that. And so this whole concept of the Panopticon does increase productivity and efficiency. And being effective and efficient is probably the number one criteria of the technocracy. This is the whole point of a technocracy. It is very scientific in a way. It is something that is very, I guess, cold is the only way that I can describe it, cold and hard. It's something that really focuses strictly on effectiveness and efficiency and not on, let's say, the value of human life or on anything related to human emotion and relationships. It is, again, very cold and hard. As I move on from this set of illusions and start getting into the next set, I will talk a little bit about how this applies to society writ large and not just specifically the prison system with a few modern examples of these things being in effect through the technocracy. Because what I've done in these past few episodes has been to lay out this idea of what the technocracy Uh, I guess not necessarily even what it is, more how it functions, more what are the methods and strategies, how does it work, what is this system doing, and how does it do so? And this is kind of the idea by using these illusions, and this is the idea of looking at these aspects of the Panopticon. But I know definitely with Panopticon and 1984, I don't think it really applies as much to the prince, but I'll have to think about that. Maybe it will. But with at least the other two, um, there is an evolution of the concepts and ideas that will then bring us into the next set of illusions of Plato's Republic, Brave New World, and Foundation. And so we are shifting from the more physical manifestation. So think Panopticon. It's a really good example. It is a physical building. It's a physical prison, or you could build a physical school, or a physical hospital, or a physical anything, and you implement these concepts of people feeling like they're always being watched having this panoptic idea permeating throughout the building and the ability to crack down on anybody that goes against what this building's purpose is that starts to create chaos instead of order within this building. And this building is designed such that It can maximize control and crack down whenever it needs to and has a minimum number of staff of physical bodies that are working there. All of these things. This is a physical building, physical things, very material, very structured, even though it's not as structured as, let's say, the state or government, where you have set people that are representatives. They have set laws that they go by. They have set rules. ways of going about things. There is a method for introducing a law and for voting on a law, and they have to go through these different procedures and all of these things. It's it's much more clear. It is material, so yes, it is very similar in that. But when you get into the technocracy, a material technocracy is still not... N- nearly as structured and hierarchical and clear as a material state. Those are, again, we're shifting into something different. The technocracy is very different, and it is very hard to define. define. And the main reason why it is so hard to define is because it is so different, and it is material, but it is not as clear and hierarchical and structured. So this is kind of the difference here. But again, with the Panopticon, that is a material implementation of these ideas, 
Then there is also the immaterial implementation, where you have this permeating throughout all society, and it's not through a physical surveillance grid, so to say, but it is through maybe social pressure or things like this. And Foucault talks a lot about this when you get into philosophy. He brings up this idea of the panopticon, builds on that, and expands that to the rest of society and starts to implement that differently. So I'll talk about that in the next episode, about this bridge between these two illusions and bring us into the next set of illusions. So that's what will be coming up, and that is all I have for today. I do want to say thank you very much for all of the supporters, especially those financially supporting the show. If you do want to support the show, you think that this is good content and it should be out there for free to anybody that wants to listen to it and you want to support that, then please do go to the Patreon page and that there's a link for that in the show notes or you can search on Patreon. There's also the subscribe star page for those that don't uh, like the platform Patreon. There are people that have issues with Patreon. And if you have issues with all of them and you just want to give directly, then I do accept cryptocurrency. I have cryptocurrency addresses listed. So you are welcome to do that. Or you can email me or request in some way a specific uh, cryptocurrency address of a specific crypto that you enjoy if it's not listed and those are all the ways to support so thank you very much for doing so those that have if you are able to willing to um, please do leave a rating and a review especially on amazon i noticed that now you can listen to podcasts on amazon and there are currently i think no ratings and no reviews on there and so i guess they hold their ratings and reviews separate from apple and separate from spotify and all the others which is kind of annoying all these platforms are completely separate but i know most of my listeners do have an amazon account So I would think that you could easily log on there and search for the podcast, quickly leave a rating, leave a review, something like that. That would be really appreciated. I would greatly appreciate it. I'll give you a shout out on the show. Thank you very much for all that do choose to do so. And I think that's all I have. So if you have any questions, if you have any comments, please, if you have any feedback, please do send that to me. I do want to hear them. That is extremely helpful. That is another great way to support the show. I am really enjoying getting into all of these different things, but I know that it is a a niche topic. And so if there are aspects or perspectives that you want me to get into more or that you specifically enjoyed or specifically did not, then let me know so that I can implement those in future episodes. And that would be uh, very good, very beneficial for me. So with that, I will get out of here. Thank you very much for all of your support. Thank you for listening. I'm out. Peace. This has been our Foundations Podcast. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye-bye.